0: I mentioned to you just a moment ago about the word providence. I wonder this morning if you believe in that. Many people today do not believe in what we have termed historically the providence of God. What does that mean exactly? Well, if you look up the word providence, it says this, the providing protective care of God. Now, I synthesize that a little bit. It also places within that definition uh, God or nature, <laughs> as if nature could sovereignly act or if, as if nature could do something on its own will and by its own power and authority. So I discarded that particular piece of untruthfulness and synthesized the definition to simply read, and I read again, the providing protective care of God. Now, I for one believe that the Bible clearly teaches that God is in control of all things that he rules the inhabitants of the heavens and the earth. The Bible clearly teaches that it is God who holds all things together. The world continues to turn as it does, the earth continues to rotate as it does, our hearts continue to beat as they do, our lungs breathing air The world goes on and holds together by the power and authority of God. Now if that's true, then we must believe in the providence of God, or we should. Because if he is holding all things together, if it is through the power of his word, as Colossians 1, 16 and following tells us about even Jesus Christ. Then surely we should believe That God is the providing, protecting, caring God. And specifically, He shows this care for His people. His covenant people. The word providence comes from a Latin word that has as its root meaning, this is interesting, foresee, foresee, Providence means God can foresee the future. And the second part of this this Latin word means attend to. To foresee and attend to. God is able to foresee and attend to the future. He is the providing and the protecting God of heaven and earth turn with me if you would to the book of Ezra chapter 7 in Ezra chapter 7 we are going to be thinking along this title reforming providence subtitle renewal of god's word reforming providence in other words the providence of god is doing the reforming and it's going to be through the subtitle of the renewal of his word. And so we want to see that from the text. I pray that you do. Verse 1. Now after this in the reign of Artaxerxes king of Persia Ezra the son of Seriah and I'm not going I'm going to skip now on down not going to read all of these names except to show you that this is a lineage with a purpose the reason that the names are included in Ezra's line descendants is because of what it leads us to at the end so if you'll kind of go on over there through the names you will find the son of Eleazar Son of Aaron, the chief priest. And we'll talk about that here in just a moment. The son of Aaron, the chief priest, as you know, is the brother of Moses. This Ezra went up from Babylonian. He was a scribe, skilled in the law of Moses, that the Lord, the God of Israel, had given. And the king granted him all that he asked for. And I want you to pay attention to this phrase. For the hand of the Lord his God was on him. And I simply ask you, even in our reading this morning, how would you say that back to me? What does it mean, that phrase? That Ezra had the hand of the Lord his God on him. Could we be correct in saying that that phrase could mean That the hand of the Lord God of heaven was working in favor to provide and to protect and to care for this man. That's providence. Verse 7. And there went up also to Jerusalem in the seventh year of Artaxerxes the king. Some of the people of Israel and some of the priests and Levites. The singers and gatekeepers... And the temple servants. And Ezra came to Jerusalem in the fifth month. Which was in the seventh year of the king. For on the first day of the first month. He began to go up from Babylonia. And on the first day of the fifth month. He came to Jerusalem. For here it is again. So how did his journey take place? Four, verse 10. The good hand of his God. Was on him. For Ezra had set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach his statutes and rules in Israel. This is a copy of the letter that King Artaxerxes gave to Ezra the priest, the scribe, a man learned in matters of the commandments of the Lord and his statutes for Israel. That's the second time it mentioned that he was a learned man. In the word of God. Verse 12. This is the letter that he wrote. Artaxerxes king of kings. To Ezra the priest. The scribe of the law of the God of heaven. Peace. And now I make a decree. That any one of the people of Israel. Or their priests or Levites. In my kingdom. Who freely offers to go to Jerusalem. May go with you. For you are sent. By the king. And his seven counselors. To make. "...inquiries about Judah and Jerusalem according to the law of your God, which is in your hand. "...and also to carry the silver and gold that the king and his counselors have freely offered to the God of Israel, whose dwelling is in Jerusalem, with all the silver and gold that you shall find in the whole province of Babylonia, and with the free will offerings of the people and the priests, vowed willingly..." For the house of their God that is in Jerusalem. With this money then. You shall with all diligence buy bulls, rams and lambs. With their grain offerings and their drink offerings. And you shall offer them on the altar the house of your God that is in Jerusalem. Whatever seems good to you and your brothers to do with the rest of the silver and gold you may do. According to the will of your God. Notice even here he doesn't say his God. The vessels that have been given, this is verse 19, the vessels that have been given you for the service of the house of your God, you shall deliver before the God of Jerusalem. And whatever else is required for the house of your God, which it falls to you to provide, you may provide it out of the king's treasury. It's a remarkable thing. And I, Artaxerxes the king, make a decree to all the treasurers in the province beyond the river, that is where Jerusalem is, Whatever Ezra the priest, the scribe of the law, the God of heaven requires of you, let it be done with all diligence, up to 100 talents of silver, 100 cores of wheat, 100 baths of wine, 100 baths of oil, and salt without prescribing how much? Whatever is decreed by the God of heaven, let it be done in full for the house of the God of heaven. Let his wrath be not against the realm of the king and his sons. And there's his motive, his motive. We also notify you that it shall not be lawful to impose tribute, custom, or toll on any one of the priests, the Levites, the singers, the doorkeepers, the temple servants, or other servants of this house of God. And you, Ezra, according to the wisdom of your God that is in your hand, appoint magistrates and judges who may judge all the people in the province beyond the river, all such as know the laws of your God. And those who do not know them, you shall teach. Whoever will not obey the law of your God and the law of the king, let judgment be strictly executed on him, whether for death or for banishment or for confiscation of his goods or for imprisonment. And then a praise. Blessed be the Lord, the God of our fathers. Listen to this. Who put such a thing as this into the heart of the king. Remember last week from the book of Proverbs? The king's heart is where? In the hand of the Lord. And he turns it wherever he desires. Blessed be the Lord God, the God of our fathers, who puts such a thing as this into the heart of the king. To beautify the house of the Lord that is in Jerusalem. And who extended to me his steadfast love before the king and his counselors. And before all the king's mighty officers. I took courage. And guess what? Here it is again, the phrase, for the hand of the Lord my God was on me, and I gathered leading men from Israel to go up with me. Let's pray together. Lord, we're thankful for your word today, for your providential hand, providing and protecting your people through the centuries. Bringing us even to this very moment. We're thankful this morning that you have given your Holy Spirit to teach us. To help us to understand truth. Objective. Infallible. Eternal truth. Thank you, Lord. What we want to do, Father, is ask you together, those who are agreed, that you will come this morning and from this story, you will teach us. You will open our eyes to see your majesty and glory and beauty in this historical account. And that you would teach us, O oh God, principles to live by. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So what have we witnessed so far? We've witnessed from the book of Ezra how God graciously moved in power and provided for the renewal of his people and the renewal of God's own worship in Jerusalem. We've witnessed how God began this renewal by stirring the pagan king who was on the throne at that time to send the people of Israel back and stirred some of the people of Israel. Not all of them returned, as we can see from our text this morning not all of them returned at that first journey back but some of them did and it was god as we noticed from the text who put it in their hearts who stirred the people of israel to return to their homeland and to rebuild the temple we have witnessed as the renewal began by renewing the altar and reinstating the sacrifices and then they began to build the temple And then through opposition, they were made to stop for 15 years, only to start up again as we recognized by the grace, and I would say again this morning, the providence of God. And so in chapter 5, we learned that God provided the men of God with the Word of God and the favor of God in order for them to start back even in the midst of opposition. And last week we witnessed the faithfulness of God displayed in a finished temple. Certainly there were people who lifted their hands and worked hard in order to accomplish the building of the temple. But we noticed even from the story that it was really the faithfulness of God that was on display when the temple was finished. It was the faithfulness of God that the people of Israel praised As they celebrated the Passover. And so this morning, you do realize that we're just saying the same thing every week. You do realize that as we look at this story, we're seeing the same thing. We are seeing the same emphasis. We are noticing the same central ideas. Namely, what we're looking at is the work of God. What we're looking at is how God is moving in His world with nations, with people, to renew His people, to reestablish the temple in Jerusalem, and to bring about reform among the people of God. I think I have six things this morning that I want us to observe from the story that we just read. Number one, so we're talking about reforming providence, okay? Reforming providence. Number one, the provision. So, what is, remember, I defined providence as provision, protection, and care of God. So, number one, the first way that I see. The providence of God in this story is the provision of Ezra the priest. The provision of Ezra the priest. If you look back again in verses 1 to 6, you'll see the provision of a man. As, As God often does when He wants to move in a direction, He will send a man. Sometimes He will send a woman. God works... Most of the time in concert with his people, not apart from them. Sometimes the world is by the providence of God in such a state that God works in a more miraculous fashion. Say, through uh, a vision or an angel or some kind of miraculous event. In the past, he's done these things. But even in those things, they are almost always quickly followed by God's people working in concert with God to accomplish God's purposes on earth. And so here we see the first provision of the providence of God for the reforming of the people of God, the man, Ezra. It might be interesting to you to know that this is 458 B.C. And that between verse, chapter 6 and chapter 7, we have approximately a 57 year span. So we've leaped forward in time, 57 years thereabout, when we turn the page or turn our eyes from the last verse of chapter 6 to the first verse of chapter 7. And we're introduced to Artaxerxes, the king now of Persia, not Darius or not Cyrus. We've looked at both of those kings of Persia. And we're introduced to Ezra, the son of, who is the son of, who is the son of, who is the son of Eliezer, who is the son of Aaron, the chief priest. And so Ezra was a priest with a direct line back to Aaron, verse 5. Now that's important because as we notice this man, we need to know a little bit about him. God has given us a little information about this man. This man is a priest who could prove his lineage. This is a man that could prove, he could trace his line back to Aaron himself. And therefore, it gave him, according to the law of God, direct authority from God to serve in the capacity that he's going to serve. If he would go back to the, the people of Israel in an attempt to reform the people of Israel through the word of God, one of the first things that the people could point out is that you're not qualified to do this job if he if could not do this. And I don't want to linger long upon that idea, but certainly we can trans we can transport that idea to today. That in order to do the job very often, and especially in the case of a pastor, there must be qualifications met. Not anyone can serve in the capacity of an elder, of a pastor in a church. First Timothy chapter 3 Titus chapter 1 gives us the qualifications and the characteristics of an elder of a pastor of an overseer and so it is with Ezra he meets the qualifications the second thing that I want you to notice about Ezra is that he is a scribe (laughs) how many of you know somebody that you would describe as a scribe you'd say there's old so and so the scribe we don't really talk about that today. But if we, would, if we would kind of translate that into understandable language today, he was a learned scholar. He was a learned scholar specifically in the interpretation and application of the Word of God, the Scriptures, the Law of God given through Moses. He was a teacher. One commentator that I read said that he was an interpreter par excellence. The word here is speaking of the... He is not just any kind of scholar. He is a scholar par excellence. This is a man that is... And you notice that I pointed it out even as we read that it's mentioned twice of how he is such a man. And this is thought to be the beginning of a a principled pattern from here on in the history of the people of God in dealing with God's Word. Many people believe that with Ezra, as we're going to see later on in the book, there is the beginning of a principled pattern of exegesis of the Scriptures. You say, what in the world does that mean? Exegesis is a word that means critical explanation or interpretation of a text. Critical interpretation and explanation of a text, specifically the scriptures. Exegesis comes from a Greek word. It's a compound word. Listen to this, the, the two words. Ex, out of, it's very important. The first part of the word is the word ex in the Greek. What does it mean? Out of, it's very important. The second part means to guide, to lead. Out of the text is the guidance. It's very important. Out of the text comes the guidance and the leadership. So this is Ezra, the interpreter. Par excellence. He was sent. Third thing about Ezra. He was sent by the king of Persia. With a task of reform. It says that a couple of times. There in our story. That he was sent by the king. He was a man who was sent. Specifically by this king. To accomplish this particular task. To further reform the people of God. In Jerusalem through the scriptures. Now we also notice. at the end of the text, of the story, that he was ultimately sent not by the king of Persia, but by God. Because it was God who put it into the heart of the king to send Ezra. And so, the fourth thing, and this is very interesting that I I did not know. Ezra is actually a shortened name of the word Azariah. Now, think about our, the title that I gave this message. And by the way, the title that I'm giving the message, I'm giving it because I believe that that is central to this text, to this story. The reforming providence through the word of God. Guess what the name Azariah means, which Ezra's name is a shortened form of. Quote, the Lord has helped. Isn't that wonderful? Here we see a story and you step back after reading and you say, this is all about the providence of God. This is all about the protecting, caring, providing God, doing a work to reform his people further in and through the word of God. And he sends a man whose name is a shortened name of a name that means the Lord has helped. That's the first thing. The second thing. I see the reforming providence of God not only in the provision of Ezra, but the protection of Ezra. Verses 7 to 9. So the protection of Ezra in verses 7 to 9. And so this was at least a three-month journey that he went on with these people. And it was not an easy journey. They they couldn't jump in the Honda Accord or they couldn't jump in their Cadillac. They couldn't take the bus or the train or the helicopter or the plane. They were on a journey that was difficult. It took them at least three months to get there. There were many dangers along the way. And God delivered them from them all. I see that in those verses. I also see in verses 11 to 26 the letter that we read together from Artaxerxes as the part of the protection of this man and his company. So God protected Ezra, the scribe, the priest of God, and his traveling company to go back to Jerusalem by, putting, by God providing in the heart of the king to do this and giving him favor with the king so that the king sent this letter of decree in his hand. You want to mess with me? Here's my protection. This, this piece of paper. This decree from the king. And so God protected him in his providence. Number three, the provisions for worship and godly living. Verses 15 to 23. When you look at those verses in the letter, we see that Artaxerxes, the king, provides everything that Ezra and the people of Israel are going to need in order to properly worship God according to his word. And in order to live godly lives according to his word, the word of the Lord. And certainly God will provide everything that we need to worship him and to live according to his purpose. Number four. The fourth way in which we see the providential reform, reformation among the people of God through the word of God. Number four, the provision of godly leadership. Verse 25. If you look in verse 25, you'll see that the king instructs Ezra, according to your wisdom of your God that is in your hand, appoint magistrates and judges who may judge all the people in the province beyond the river. And so God provides the man, Ezra, he provides his protection, he, pro- he provides the provisions for worship and godly living, and he provides the godly leadership who will oversee the people of God and lead them rightly according to his word. Number five, we see the reforming providence of God in the praise that is given For divine providence. Praise is specifically given, as we noticed in verses 27 and 28, for divine providence. Essentially, what he is saying is praise God that he has providentially protected us, he has providentially provided for us, he has providentially cared for us in these ways. As we read together. And so, let's begin to summarize and close. What we're seeing here is the divine providence of the renewal of God's people through the renewal of God's Word, the Scriptures. The Scriptures. The holy, sacred writings. Now, we have to see that from the text. Is that what God is doing? He provides a man who is twice told to us that his skill, his giftedness, and his job is concerning mainly what? The Word of God. The Scriptures from God. The sacred writings from God. The law of God. And so what we are seeing in this story, as we look over and see that God provides a man. He provides provisions for worship and godly living through this man and through the king and through others who gave sacrificially, no doubt, in order that they might have the provisions to worship and to fulfill the word of the Lord. God provides godly leaders. God even is receiving the praise of this. And I step back from it and I say, what are we looking at? Are we not, my friends, looking at the centrality and the sufficiency of the Word of God? Are we not looking at a story that points to the providence of God in providing His Word? Let me take you through a little journey backwards through the book from where we are. Look, if you will, in chapter 7 and verse 10. For Ezra had set his heart to study, what? The law of the Lord. And to do it. And to teach his statutes and rules in Israel. Turn back to chapter 6 and verse eight and verse 18. Chapter 6 and verse 18. And they set the priests in their divisions, and the Levites in their divisions, for the service of the God of God at Jerusalem. How? As it is written in the book of Moses. Now, look at chapter 6, verse 14. Verse 14 of chapter 6. And the elders of the Jews built and prospered through the prophesying of Haggai, the prophet, and Zechariah, the son of Iddo. So, how did they do it? Through the prophesying of the word of the Lord, going on back even still to chapter 3 and verse 10. Chapter 3 and verse 10, when the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, the priests in their vestments came forward with trumpets and the Levites, the son of Asaph, with symbols to praise the Lord. How did they know how to do that? How did they know that that was something that they should do when they come to worship? The only way that they knew that this is something that's acceptable to God, when the people of God are gathered in the place of God, is because they look to the Word of God. That is so significant for me today. I stopped in the middle of the sentence. It goes on to, let's go back and read it again. So they, the, when the builders laid the foundation, this is verses ten, uh, verse ten of chapter three. When the builders laid the foundation of the temple, the Lord, the priests in their vestments came forward with trumpets, and the Levites, the son of Asaph, with cymbals, to praise the Lord. And here it is, according to the directions of David, king of Israel, and they sang responsively, praising and giving thanks to the Lord, for He is good, for His steadfast love endures forever toward Israel. And time would fail me to go back and you can do this study on your own to see that that phrase that in probably in your English Bible is marked off in some fashion. And the reason that that phrase, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever toward Israel, is because that comes directly out of other scriptures and directly out of the history of the people of God. This was written down. And therefore they worshipped God by the direction of the word of God. Chapter 3 and verse 4. Chapter 3 verse 4. And they kept the feast of booths How? As it is written. And offered daily burnt offerings by number according to the what? The rule as each day required. And after that the regular burnt offerings. The offerings of the new moons. And all the appointed feasts of the Lord. And the offerings of everyone who made their offering. And so this happened by the rule of of the Word of God. Chapter 3, verse 2. Then arose Jeshua, the son of Josadak, with his fellow priests, and Jeroboam, the son of Sheoltil, and with his kinsmen, and they built the altar of the God of Israel to offer burnt offerings on it. How? As it is written in the law of Moses, the man of God. And I'll stop there, even though we could go even more. Are we not seeing a pattern in this book? Are we not seeing a pattern in the scriptures? That the word of God is central and sufficient. For the people of God to carry out the work of God. For the people of God to be able to worship God in a way that is pleasing to Him. The people had encouragement from the prophets. Yes, they did. And yet according to our story today, and yet they needed the established revelation that was clearly understood and obeyed from the Scriptures. They had prophets speaking to them, and yet God, in His providence, sends Ezra back. Why? Because there needs to be further reform of the people of God. Yes, they've rebuilt the temple. Yes, they have reestablished the sacrifices. Yes, they have started celebrating the festivals. But they needed to clearly understand and properly apply God's Word. And they needed a man who was a ready scribe to help them to do it. My friends, this morning God brings life through His Word. God... Gives perseverance. Through. His word. And therefore I submit to you. That the Bible. The sacred writings. The scriptures. Must be central. In our lives. As disciples of Christ. Let's stop. And ask the question. Is it. For you. Are the scriptures central in your life? According to what we've looked at, we simply must infer that the people of God hold as centrally essential and important and necessary the word of God if you are trying to live the Christian life apart from the Word of God, my friend, it will not happen. Think about your past week or month. My friend, through the love of Christ, if you are living apart from the centrality of this book in your life, you are not and cannot live to your full potential in Christ. The Christian life. You cannot. You say well I know. I've read it before. It doesn't matter. These people knew the word of God. And yet it was, it was imperative. That there be someone. Steadily and continually. Teaching them exegeting, expositing, unpacking what is coming from the text in a way that is clear and understandable so that they can apply it to their lives. It is not only clear that we should have the Word as central in our individual lives as disciples, but it is also clear that we should have the Bible to be central in our life together as a church. Number six, this is the last one. The provision of a pattern of discipleship. There is a providential provision of a pattern of discipleship in this text. It's found in verse 10. Go back and look at it. Verse 10. For Ezra had set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach his statutes. And his rules in Israel. There's a four-fold pattern of discipleship given to us in that verse. Number one. The preparation of the heart. To thrive in your walk with Christ. This is where the rubber meets the road. If you want to thrive in your Christian life. And if you want this church to thrive for the glory of Christ and for the good of each and every one of us and for those outside of our walls. We must see what is happening in this man's heart and apply it to our own lives. Number one is the first step is the preparation of the heart for the word of God. It says in the phrase he set his heart. He had a holy ambition. He had a fixed desire and passion to do what follows. Namely, to study the Word of God, to do the Word of God, and to teach, communicate the Word of God. My friend, I want to suggest to you three ways in which you can prepare your heart. Number one is through prayer. Prayer. Asking God, as the psalmist did, to open my eyes to see glorious things in your Word. Secondly, through self-examination. It's been said many times that the Word of God is the only book on the planet that actually reads you. If you will prayerfully open the Word of God, what you will find is yourself. You will see more clearly who you are through the pages of God's Word. And thirdly, through meditation, prayer, self-examination. And meditation upon the Word. Which leads to the second part of this pattern. Which is the devotion to study. Many of you can probably say, yes, I read my Bible every day. Are you devoted to the study of Scripture? Are you devoted to the study of Scripture? The first part is a prepared heart. The second part is a devotion To the study of the word of God. It says to study the law of the Lord. This is interpretation. This is to rightly understand. What the word of God says. Which leads to the third part. Of the pattern. Faithfulness. To obey it. Set his heart to study it. To obey it. And number four. The fourth part of the pattern. Is to have a commitment to share it. You are never given truth from God for your own individual experience of it. It's always that plus so that you can give it away. There are people today all around you that are hurting people. And what they are starving for is God. There are people who have misunderstood God's Word and the gospel itself, and therefore in all of their religion, they still are not satisfied. And if you have a modicum of truth, if you have the spirit enabled understanding of the gospel, my friend, you should have a commitment to share it. Ezra had. A prepared heart. He had a devotion to study. A faithfulness to obey. And a commitment to share. God's word. So. Let me give you three. Exhortations. To close. Number one. We must see from this story. That Ezra and the whole of the Bible. That the scriptures. Are what gives life. Life. And perseverance to the people of God. Number two, we must see that the scriptures are what gives the content of our message, whether you're a pastor or not. The content of our message does not come from our own minds. Share the Word of God. Be committed to give the people the Word of God. So, number two, We must see that the Scriptures are what gives the content of our message and the content and the shape of our worship gatherings. If you say, how do you come to the conclusion of what we should do on Sunday morning? We look at the Bible. We must use the Word of God not only to have the content of the message, but have the content and the shape of our gatherings gleaned from the pages of sacred Scripture. That's what was happening in our story. The people of God were being restored and reformed to proper worship through, thus says the Word of God. And number three, we must see that the Scriptures are what inform the church in both doctrine and practice. How we are governed and what we do. It's sort of what I said just now. But a little bit different. Doctrine and practice. What we believe. And how we practice what we believe. Is to be informed by God's word. Let me pray with you. Oh God we thank you for your word. And rightfully so. Because every one of these sermons. And I trust, not by my own creation of it, but simply because what we find in the story itself, in the text, emphasizes the centrality and the sufficiency of your word to inform us of what to believe and what to practice. Of what to believe and how to live. And we pray, O God, that our hearts... Would be pleased with that. That we would not need something else. But that we would be content. And we would be overwhelmingly joyful. Because of your providential care. And provision. And protection. In giving us your word. In giving us godly teachers, in giving us your spirit to illuminate truth to our hearts, to our minds, and by declaring for us the final word in the Lord Jesus Christ himself, the living word. And we pray, oh God, that we would follow this pattern of our brother, Ezra. Lord, that you would move us as we go out this week, today, to set our hearts to study your word, to first and foremost apply it and obey it ourselves, to understand it, and to be committed to share it with others. We pray that we as a people would constantly and continually be reformed by your word. We pray this in Jesus' name and amen.